Hey everyone, how you doing today? As I published my content schedule yesterday, we do something every day. Monday through Friday, we bring on our experts and we start the week strong with Greg Dickerson. How you doing, sir? Doing great, Michael. Uh, coming in from the road once again. I love that. I mean, it's it's such a wonderful thing to to be to have experts that care so much about doing this every week that they're they're willing to meet us on the road. So I I just want to thank you for doing that. Yeah, well, you know, I'm out here looking at progress. So, you know, <laughs> just flip the camera around. You see a little silt fence out there and yep. the equipment moving around. So, got to make sure people are doing the job, huh? <laughs> got to get on it. Got to get on it. Well, hey, one of the things I wanted to talk about first with you, because both of us have been doing this for quite a while, is I'm just completing my tax prep uh, for my accountant. And I'm, I'm to the point where I can start going back at, and looking at past performance. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is, with all the talk about 2020 being a rough year for landlords, specifically mom and pop landlords, this is obviously month to month rentals. Uh, it's actually not my worst year. The worst year to be a mom and pop landlord was actually 06, right before the bubble. Now, what burst. do you what do you mean by that? When you say worst year, what do you what do you mean by that? Performance of my apartments, right? Um, apartments were not profitable in 06. I lost money in multifamily in 06 because uh, turns were up. Uh, people were breaking leases and buying homes. Uh, and it was, it was really just all the turns. And then I had to give uh, rent, uh, not, not rent, like incentives, like one month off and half off deposit. It was horrible. 06 was rough. 2020 was not nearly as bad from a numeric perspective, at least in our portfolio for rent collection. Uh, and you were primarily single family? No, I would say numerically speaking, we're probably 60, 40, 65, 35, uh, numerically speaking, but uh, gross rents, it's far closer to 50, 50, right? Houses rent for more than apartments. Uh, but yeah, 2020 was, when you look at collectively, houses were awesome. I think we had one, one tenant out of all of them that was kind of sketchy, but we, we got, somebody else paid their rent, right? One of the agencies. Uh, but yeah, multifamily was, was rough, but I was surprised to see the data show that um, 06 was worse than 2020. I don't know what you remember of 06, uh, but I thought I'd ask you what, what, what you remember because um, it's very different than I expected. Well, you know, that's when the housing market peaked, you know, 04, 05, 06, you know, during that time frame for single family homes, that was the peak of the market. So, you know, it's really interesting. And I wonder if your financing structure has something to do with that, uh, you know, or could have something to do with it. Um, you know, cause interest, interest is so cheap now that you can cash flow darn near anything. Cause the yeah. money's almost free. That's true. Um, but you know, it's all, it's all cycles, right? It's all up and down and every market's different. So what you were seeing in your market there may or may not be indicative of what we saw in other markets true. and, you know, inventory levels, you know, the demands we know the population has increased since then. Um, we know that the renter demand has increased with millennials, you know, graduating. I mean, they're the biggest portion of the market. They're probably the biggest, you know, home buyers out there right now. So there's a shift from renter to home buyer, you know, those types of things. So it's without knowing all of the details, it, you know, it'd be hard to say. But in general, I think the rental market was fairly strong in multifamily, you know, 040506, you know, during that time frame. A lot of people were on the on the precipice of losing their homes going into the 0708 timeframe. So it's really interesting. I think, you know, a lot of people, home ownership was on the rise, right? There was a big push to get everybody in a house. 
you know, there were, there were all those interest-free or not interest-free, but uh, no doc loans, things like that. So maybe there was pressure because it was easier to buy than it was to rent back then. It was almost cheaper to buy than rent, you know, at a, at a period. So, I mean, there could have been a lot of factors affecting it, but that was probably it. It was probably because there was a huge push to get people into houses and a lot of people were buying homes, you know, during that time period. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. I, re- I remember several conversations where if somebody were going to move into one of my nicer apartments, they'd have to bring in like 2,500 bucks, right? First month mm-hmm. deposit, you know, maybe a pet deposit or something, but they could get into a home for zero. I mean, it was, yeah. it, it was that market. So it started, it started in 05 where we lost kind of the best tenants, mean at least financially best stable. But by the time 06 came again, very California, very my market specific, uh, it seemed like every other person was becoming a first time home buyer. And, and you know, it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to go back and track that, but I think that's when interest only LIBOR started, the no doc loans started, all that kind of stuff. I think it was that 05, 06 timeframe because remember the market started tailing off. And, you know, we'd reached a peak of 405, going to 06, 07, a lot of other areas, you know, reached their peak then. But that's when all of these financial instruments were created. And when all of that started, and it didn't take long for all that to blow up either. Mm-mm. Yeah, that vintage of loan product. I mean, I, I did a lot of reading on that a decade ago. And that 06 vintage of, of toxic CDOs and all of that, those were the worst. I mean, w- without question, they, they were just bad product. But that, you know, a guy and operating a business in that environment, I suffered. And now let's be clear, 07, 08, 09 were great years to be landlords in multifamily because everybody came back, rents went up, supply I mean, it all came back, but again, myopically speaking, my tax return income and expenses and net in 06 versus 20, even adjusting for unit count, um, multifamily was rougher in 06 than 20. Uh, the other thing I want people to realize, I looked, at, I looked at my portfolio from 06 all the way to 20 in houses, single family homes have performed every year. They've... they've never had a bad year and they've all, it's all been pretty consistent. Actually, obviously rents are up about 50% over that time. And if you have fixed rate debt, you're, you're really enjoying life. So um, that's another takeaway I had is, is houses have been very stable uh, cash flow units. Uh, And then obviously you refi debt from six and a half to three and a quarter. It's even better. Well, with multifamily, there was a lot of pressure put on multifamily back then because there was a lot of development going on a lot of building, a lot of new properties being delivered, uh, you know, to the market. So I think that depending on where you're at, had had a big impact on existing inventory. Yeah. And again, the reason I bring all this up, um, just trying to help people understand that in some timeframes, bigger isn't better, right? When I look at my portfolio, the bigger units I had, the worst performing, It, it was almost linear. The more units in the building, the worse it performed. Mm-hmm. It's just wow, that's interesting. It's just how the numbers worked in 2020. I don't, it, and again, it, it doesn't normally go that way. There are times where the more units it, it performs the best, right? It's linear the other way, but 2020 was not that year. Uh, and I just thought it was interesting. And in 06, were you just doing houses? You were doing big houses, right? Yeah, and commercial. So Anywhere, I was developing okay. land, I was doing some subdivisions, I was doing commercial. So I was doing a little bit of everything back then. Did, did the toxic debt? that environment impact your buyers? Cause you probably didn't see that in commercial, I would guess. No, no. Cause again, it was easy to get, you know, the money back then. I mean, the financing was super simple and that's, that's where we're going to talk about another segment, you know, in terms of, 
you know, how I would structure deals and deals. But, you know, I had a building company that, that was the general contracting arm for me as a developer. So, you know, I would end up with no money in my deals because I would hire my building company. Everything was done on loan to value, not loan to cost. Mm. So that was the other big thing too, is that anybody could borrow money, no doc, no income verification, you know, none of that. Um, it was the project, the money was loaned on the project based on the value of the project after it was complete, not the cost. So as the builder general contractor, I had tons of equity. So I would go put a, put a piece of property under contract, commercial or residential, and I'd get a loan from the bank. The bank would loan me a percentage of the after, you know, the finished value of that project. I had about a 20 to 30% margin in it. I'd get my, uh, the company would get a 10% working capital deposit from the bank when the deal closed. The seller would get paid for their land. So I essentially got my profit up front for, mm. for doing the project. So I didn't have to bring any equity in because it already had the equity built in. Wow. Now, would that same low pro- loan product that was available then be available today? Just trying to tie out? No. Okay. No, not at all. No, everything is loan to cost now, not loan to value, either loan to cost or loan to value, whichever is lower. Got it. So if the value is lower than the cost, you're going to get a loan to lower amount, but they never go higher anymore um, on development. They want cash in the deal back then. It didn't care if the equity was there. They didn't care about the cash. Interesting. Um, you okay. could get, you could get non-recourse a lot easier. Now you've got to be, uh, you've got to have a lot of equity in the deal and you've got to have, you know, you got to be strong to get, you know, non-recourse on development unless you're doing agency debt. And then that's, that's a different animal, you know, for multifamily, that's basically the only non-recourse development debt for the average developer out there right now. Um, and then the no doc thing, you know, that's all gone away. I think the closest thing we have now is bank statement loans for self-employed individuals. They'll look at your bank statements to verify your income instead of, um, a W-2 or tax returns, things like that. So that's the closest thing we have, but still you got to put your down payment up. You got to have the credit score um, and your interest rates going to be a lot higher. Whereas back before, you know, really all you needed was a, a decent credit score. Yeah. So the last thing is we wrap up this session. I just want people to realize when I look at 2020, uh, multifamily is where I saw rent softness. Houses actually rent went up. Vacancies went up in apartments, uh, zero vacancies in houses most of the year. I think I, I think I had like, I think I counted, I think I had like 27 days of vacancy for the entire year across the portfolio. So basically nothing. Yeah. Um, bad debt or, um, you know, tenants in uh, eviction moratoriums are all in apartments, not in houses. Uh, so again, that's, that's what I saw in 2020. It'll be interesting to see what other landlords had to say about what they, what they saw in 2020. So Greg, appreciate this first conversation. I look forward to the next one. Yeah.